0: All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining in Theology with Friends. I have a new friend that I have finally met that lives in Durham with, you know, all the other pastors I'm meeting here. Her name is Sheree Jackson. Sheree?
1: Yes.
0: Yes. All right. I love spelling. I love it.
1: Um, language when people pronounce my name correctly, especially newbies. Yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> well people always like misspell my name. So like Paxton has always mm-hmm. been like P-A-C-K-S-O. I'm like, dude. Um well, anyways, yeah. Thank you for coming on. You're a local pastor of Pioneers Church. Um and I guess co-owner uh, this is part of what i wanted to have you on about because i don't know the structure of pioneers which is a I also pioneers. Don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well why don't you
1: uh um, I mean, before... yeah, owner but it makes me like squirm for many reasons not just modesty reasons but <laughs> yes 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 yes
0: i hear you well um so you're a pastor you're a wife you're a mom yeah. as well mm-hmm. um i'd love to just hear maybe from like I don't know, seminary or before, a little bit before, just kind of what stirred you to do the work you're doing and just kind of lead up to figuring out, talking about pioneers.
1: Yeah, I would love to share. Um, Well, I was the first person to kind of start walking with Jesus and my family and that miraculously happened in Alabama so hey. I, always, I always I always make this running joke that like all the kiddos were like in youth group and they're they're all getting told to go save their lost friends and I was the only lost one they could find. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Everyone else awesome. was in church. Um but yeah, I mean I think I kind of grew up um just kind kind of like um pre hipster. Like I would I would think about church people and be like, oh, those poor sweet dumb people who don't know religion. Mm-hmm not worth two cents, but, um, so I just was honestly would make a mockery of the church. And I just, I would have not found myself, I would have not darkened the doors of a traditional worshiping environment. Now I do all the time. I find it to be really refreshing to be in a highly liturgical environment, but, um, at that season of life, I just wouldn't have, it didn't make sense to me. And since I didn't understand the language of liturgy, instead of asking questions, I just made fun of it, you know? Um, so I think for me, so much of what we do and Build Around Pioneers is um, about trying to hold a space of hospitality for someone like me who just didn't grow up in the cultural, didn't grow up in a cultural Christian environment. And yeah. um, the access felt really like disconnected. Like it felt really challenging to kind of come into a new church space, especially if you're a newbie and you like, my running joke is a group of students around Christmas time said, Remember the reason for the season, and I was like, "What are you talking about? is around Christmas time." And they're like, "Jesus's birthday is Christmas." And I said, "I'm so sorry. That sucks for him that he has to share his birthday yeah. with Christmas Day." That's <laughs> great. <laughs> this is like a picture of how unchurch I am. So that's yeah. the starting point for me. I, I think um, for a very long time I felt a draw into church planting, but a big part of it. um, like my missiology is centered around what I call like the, who are you, who are you native to? Mm-hmm. I think that the church just, I mean, I have friends who are missionaries who do beautiful work. And so I don't mean to undermine their work at all, but I think um, so much of my missiology is like, whom are you already native to that you can carry the gospel to you without carrying as much culture to you? Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're, you know, if you're thinking about it, of the gospel going somewhere like outside of the United States context, it's like it can take really beautiful root when someone who's native to a community is able to pick that up. Hmm. And so that was a hard question I began to ask when I started to plant a church because I didn't feel native to anybody. Like I am biracial. And so when I'm in an all brown community, I don't feel very native. And when I'm in an all white community, I don't feel very native. Yeah. And I'm late to the church. But then I like got really obsessed with God. And so sometimes I don't feel totally native in those environments either. And then my parents are both career military. And so I grew up all over the place. So I kind of have that third culture yeah. issue on a few different fronts. And so when I began to pray about church planning, it was really difficult for me to answer that question. Like, who do I feel native to? Because in so many ways, I felt like, an oddball or like a little outside of the culture that I'm swimming in most of my life. Um, Nine different schools, you know? And so part of what I've built a home for that person. And what I found is that a lot of people in Durham do feel that way um, because they've transplanted or like, they love the hospitality of the deep south, but they wanted to be around like a little bit more progressive ideas, um, mm. love of neighbor politics. And so this is kind of like as far north as some people go. And it's also as far south as some people go. Um, mm. yeah. And so I found that there was actually a significant population here in Durham that I had a lot of resonance with that I felt like I was speaking a bit of an native tongue to. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So you, um, when did you first come to Christ? Like when was, or, you know, age? Yeah,
1: I, I was 14. Okay. And so I was a teenager. I was maybe 14 or 15, got invited to a youth group. I went because Austin and Aaron Geis were there. Shout out. I'm going to send this to you guys. (laughs) I went Just some cute boys. One of them ended up marrying one of my best, best friends, but, um, yeah, I went really to just chase boys and um, the church yeah, had a half pipe set up in the middle of the sanctuary uh, and all these like very ugly dudes with like tattoos and beards, like people I wouldn't dub as like church uh-huh. in church. You know, they would go on the half pipe and um, share their stories about Jesus. It was just the first time that um, I'd ever heard Jesus in that way. Yeah. So I didn't have any language for, I mean, I wouldn't have said, Oh, I got saved. Like I wouldn't, you know, I I kind of like, I'm definitely from a full of the spirit, more Pentecostal charismatic is more of my home base. So I would say I got (laughs) slain in the spirit that day, but um, let's
0: go. Yeah.
1: So like that day, um, I didn't know what an altar call was. I didn't know any of those things. I just knew that. I kind of tried everything like I, I mean, I was like a pretty popular kid. I did really well in school. Like I was a student athlete. I was the president of every club and I was like incredibly unhappy and Mm. um, just in a lot of grief, a lot of pain. My, my home life was kind of a wreck. And yeah. so from a little, you know, 14 year old kid perspective, I had really gotten every accolade that a 14 year old could and it wasn't sticking Like I still couldn't really find much purpose, um, yeah. and so I just prayed. I was like, "Jesus, I don't think you're real. I think this is cute and sentimental. But if you are real, um, I want to encounter you." And I did in a really significant way. And wow, yeah, not to be cheesy, but my life has not been the same. So, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's awesome. I I grew up in church, and so I don't have that aspect at all. Like life without even you know it's like when you go shopping for a car a Tacoma and then you walk out and all you see is Tacomas everywhere like my life will never not be thinking about some sort of church where yeah. when did they start you know that sort of thing so that that's really cool um so then obviously you got the obsessed with God part is that sort of the seminary journey because you went to Duke as no. well
1: no <laughs> no I I mean I'm from I I've gotten to experience church in a ton of different contexts so i came to faith in a non-denom context that was kind of like interested in the move of the spirit but more behind closed doors like more seeker friendly on sundays yeah um and then i've worked in like a presbyterian context you know methodist context i mean just so many different i was part of kind of the prayer movement for a long time um Mm -hmm. so i definitely always really early on i mean there was not like a distinct like oh and now i feel a call it was more like you mean you could get paid to do this this is awesome (laughs) and so it wasn't like i mean really early on um i just kind of read um like right when i came to know jesus i read the new testament i read it in like two weeks and i just inhaled it and i saw that jesus was praying all the time and i saw that um Jesus was proclaiming all the time. And so those are the two things that I got really busy doing. Yeah, I went. I was in one of those like really big youth groups. My youth group was probably 400 people. And I won, um, we have like this big award show, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know. We can execute that later, but um, <laughs> we had like this big award show in my first year. I won evangelism hottie of the year. And I Evangel- was like hottie. That right. I mean, it was two thousand five, so and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Wait, what does evangelism mean? Like, I had I just I had no idea yeah. what I was wanting. So, all that to say, I think that me really wanting to kind of go to the highways and byways was kind of part of what came really naturally to me early on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, years in youth ministry. So I graduated high school. I went to college and I helped, um, start kind of a prayer movement on my college campus. And then it went into 12 colleges and universities across Alabama. Um, not all, I was a part of it. And then I got yeah. to help, uh, lead that network of, um, praying campuses and then graduated and I went straight into youth ministry. Okay. Ministry full time um for seven years. Oh wow, that's so, awesome! Yeah, I'm older, Paxton, and I want. To- <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just
0: kidding. Well, you don't look it. You don't look it. Really? <laughs> I said
1: 2005. I was looking at your face to be like, "What's he? How old was he?" Was he yeah? Old? I
0: didn't click that right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So. so okay. Yeah, and then after seven that. Years. Then, I think I'd always really wanted a theological education because I didn't grow up in church and yeah. I didn't have the felt board stories. I didn't get those stories. So um, it was really when I went through some like really challenging circumstances when I was a youth pastor. So I had three students commit suicide all in a year and I did all of their wow. eulogies. And then I was just in like one-on-one after one-on-one with kids asking me about theodicy and me not knowing that Mm -hmm. word and so I think I just really was like you know even though in my church context seminary you know is joked about as being cemetery like that's where you go to kill your faith um yeah I just knew that I needed uh, a roadmap for my theology and I needed to inspect my theology and so that's what kind of drew me to div school yeah. that's. Yeah, really I, started, cool. I actually started at Gordon-Conwell. So I did two years at Gordon-Conwell. Okay.
0: And then did you finish, so you finished at Duke?
1: Yeah. So I did two years at Gordon, three at Duke. So. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> sorry. Um,
0: well, yeah. That's a little bit of a time for the, uh, for the program. Real, maybe.
1: <laughs> I earned it.
0: <laughs> yeah. You definitely earned it. And yeah, um, Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing about, you know, the youth experience. I definitely. Yeah, I was in youth for a bit. And um, yeah, the questions were crazy. I mean, I am in youth now. So uh, but I haven't like fully started um, our like regular meetings and stuff. But yeah, the theodicy questions and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know how to answer those still. So (laughs) but um,
1: yeah, they're so challenging.
0: uh, Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, yeah, you ended up, you were at Gordon-Conwell, then went to Duke. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: when did you and your husband meet?
1: We met in undergrad. Okay. Yeah, we met, we married when we were 22. I'm 34 now.
0: Nice. Awesome.
1: 12 years. Yeah,
0: 34 is my favorite number. Also, we got married at 18, so beat you. Oh, (laughs) nice. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's some Alabama flavor, Paxton.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, I'm from Georgia. Well, I was... Phoenix City was right over the bridge from Columbus, Georgia. That's oh where I was. Oh my gosh.
1: That's right. So,
0: yeah. I resonate with that, with that South feeling. So it is interesting that you're unchurched. I mean, you don't find, you might find some people that are not Christians, but like being unchurched is
1: totally
0: like, you know,
1: no church on Christmas Day. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> well, so how long after Duke, you, I remember you mentioned you were at some UMC churches, like on yep. the track I I don't know how they do yeah. that
1: yeah <laughs> the super long ordination journey yeah yeah um I mean I honestly I came out of the non-denom unscathed like I love my experience it was such yeah. a beautiful journey um and I think the reason that I was pursuing ordination within a denominational context was just because I think the systems of accountability are really helpful so okay. like for me, at least in the non-denom and a little bit of being a woman, like it really mattered who I married. It really mattered, you know, who I knew. And it was more about, yeah, I mean, marrying the right person felt like a pretty big deal in, in the little part of the church world I was in. Yeah. Um, And I did marry a wonderful man who has been my ministry partner all these years, but I, Am so I don't know if I have like an arrogant problem or I just really like standing on my own two feet. (laughs) um, Yeah. So I ended up and honestly, just the systems, the accountability, the checks and balances, not always all denominations have bones that need to be spat out. Um, Mm -hmm. There's Uh also good meat there. And so um, I started to explore ordination and as I was kind of like, journeying through different theological, I guess, camps. um, The Wesleyan way of seeing God in the world was honestly deeply resonant. Like I had, I was working at a Presbyterian church. I was like exploring so many different kind of ways to journey with God. And um, there was a lot about the Wesleyan movement, not necessarily the UMC, but the Wesleyan movement that I found to be just so deeply attractive. Like a commitment to um, personal holiness. Like I think in today's language, that's kind of the beautiful practicing the way John Mark Comer, that feels very connected to early Wesleyanism. And then the social holiness, like really loving our neighborhood and doing good in the neighborhood. I thought that was so attractive. Um, I was really moved by the language around grace. And so that's kind of how I ended up in the UMC. Um, Mm -hmm. Daniel also grew up in the UMC. And he had, he, he, he was in one of those UMCs that was more like a non-denom. Um, and so even though he was in the United Methodist Church, I would ask him questions about it all the time. And he's like, I don't know, we didn't do that. Our church didn't
0: yeah. do that.
1: Um, yeah. But yeah, anytime I was kind of before boards, because it's a long ordination process. It's like a, I was on year six of a seven-year ordination process. Wow. And so anytime I was before any boards, so you you, you kind of get grilled before boards pretty often, like, mm-hmm almost a little bit more than once a year and um at that point it it had become really clear that we felt a tug towards church planting Mm. and so i would just kind of share this vision of not just church planting but church planting inside of a city center and not just in the city center but as social enterprise and so i would just kind of like pitch this idea and I think it, a part of it was because I had that seven year window of youth ministry. Cause it's not super common for someone to come out of div school and go into a church plant. Um, yeah. But I think because I was a little bit not older, like I wasn't second career, but I was a little bit older than a lot of folks go undergrad div school at Duke, not at every div school, but at, at Duke. Yeah. Um, I think it opened up the door a little bit to get that green light. And I did. So after pitching and pitching and pitching, all through my three years at Duke, um, my last semester, I did an independent study and I built out what became the blueprint for pioneers oh, and wow. that got picked up by the Western um, conference in the UMC, North Carolina conference. Um, and that was my job right out of seminary. So June of 2020, I was commissioned wow. to start mm. Pioneer Church. Yeah.
0: June of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait a second. <laughs> that must have been a little bit hard, huh?
1: <laughs> the world was a little busy that month and good. that year. um Yeah, it was horrible. It was hilarious. Go start a church in the middle of a global lockdown. Yeah. In the, of, uh, the funniest part. I mean, Durham is a really careful city. Like more significantly more careful than like neighboring Raleigh when it comes to the virus. Um, and so our city, I feel like, was locked down almost a year longer than local like communities near us. Um, mm. because in part of it's because the hospitals are here, <clears throat> cases are sent here, you know, our city's just gonna definitely be the most precautious they can be when it comes to the virus, which I'm not I'm not dissing. It just makes it hard to start a church. Um,
0: yeah. So I
1: had that gift that most planters never get. I had a year. So I had an entire year of praying and planning and dreaming and I'm, I'm kind of an eternal student. Um, So that also meant a year of research for me. Um, And that's kind of where the pioneers model got to kind of solidify was during that season of really figuring out like, okay, what is possible and, Really praying through and looking through, they're just oh, oh, okay. You should know that I grew up with my dad who's Spanish speaking, and so he doesn't really know English idioms, but he says them with great confidence. Okay, and so I say <laughs> idioms that are like wrong all the time, and Daniel's like, no, "That's not it." So I'm going to try to say "slice the pie." Is that the right thing that I'm trying? <laughs> sure. Different <laughs> <laughs> ways to slice the pie when it comes to I think so. Is that, yeah, that works. That works. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I kind of got to flesh out what a city center social enterprise model could look like, which is what Pioneer started. into.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us. You know, I say us. Well, tell you know the world about <laughs> what that you know what that actually looks like because um, you're also studying that. Like that's still a part of yes. you know your doctoral work. So yeah, yeah. where are you with that? Well, I guess where it started, but where are you now with it? You know, how does it continue?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, one thing that is a gift that the Holy Spirit does is he particularizes communities. Um, There's so many different ways to start new churches, but one idea is like build something that's pretty generic that anyone could really um, fill at home in. And I think there's so much beauty to those models. I think they stick really well in more suburban communities. I think another way of doing it is to pray and discern what is particular for my parish. So if I, if I'm looking in kind of the square mile around where I live, what's particular for the square mile around where I live? And there's also a lot of different ways to answer that question too. Mm-hmm. So like within my square mile, eighteen thousand people live within my square mile, and so. That's can be incredibly diverse. Yeah. So like churches just get can get particular or, or they can lean and be like, OK, we feel like this particular thing is what we're really called to and for. And so kind of both discerning what was right and well suited for our neighborhood and what could be a responsible way to re, to to facilitate a new faith community in downtown Durham and also holding that reality of like, but who am I native to as well? Like who to whom could I build something that I'm not having to like transfer a ton of culture to?
0: Yeah.
1: So for me, uh, the other side note to my story is that I am really a third generation entrepreneur, like chronic hustler, have always had like a pretty strong bend towards business, Mm
0: -hmm. but have
1: never fully been able to integrate that into my occupational call towards ministry. Um, so we basically identified two key pillars that we felt like this is a gap that we sense that Pioneers is supposed to help fill. Like we don't think we're the answer. We just think we're part of the beautiful tapestry in downtown Durham. And the two pillars were loneliness was the biggest one. So if you look at the stats, the it really is an epidemic of loneliness and it's it impacts everything it impacts our health it impacts our relationships it impacts our mental health it impacts yeah. our our work I mean if you're lonely you can't really function <laughs> and the church builds community in such a unique and precious way I think that's really worth dusting off and shining bright in a neighborhood so that was one one thing that we were really going to lean into you said one day Daniel was like, we we're trying to like name it. And he's like, it's just like, it's like, it needs to be a place to make friends. And we're like, yes. So simple. <laughs> That's it it needs to be a place to make friends. So we filter everything we do through that lens. Is this a place that you can make a friend? Uh, any of it we do anything that we do. And like then the, the second big thing that we felt a tug to lean into is around equity. So like, most city centers across the country uh durham is rapidly growing so when i lived downtown there were 5000 residents downtown and that was in 2017 and now 2023 there's 18000 residents downtown so it's a pretty big change um big change. and i mean there's lots of questions with growth um of you know of course there's so many people who get pushed out who get left behind who growth you know, the dark side of gentrification and then, um, and growth. I mean, it's, it's impossible to deny that growth can also revitalize the neighborhood. Like growth can also bring good to a community. And so it's mm-hmm. so hairy and complex. And um, so part of what we felt a tug to lean into, we actually attended the state of downtown Durham address. I think it was in 2021 where the keynote speaker kind of shared as this closing remark, it's not, is downtown Durham going to grow? It's, is downtown Durham going to grow with equity? Mm. And so that's kind of where our marketplace model came in, is we really are looking and hunting for ways that whatever we do, especially when it comes to like business or marketplace, could be a way um, for small, small business minded people, entrepreneur minded people who are from our neighborhood, from our community to be able to grow where there otherwise wouldn't be access. So as an example, Hmm. pioneers is, or otherwise likely not access, I should say. So pioneers is in the highest rent district in downtown Durham. And, um, we have 70 local vendors and like the landslide majority of those vendors are, um, Women and people of color, and mm-hmm. so pioneers is in a really unique position where we're able to create room for brick and mortar that otherwise is very challenging to get access to. Myself included, like I'm a woman, I'm a minority, and so part of that is that native mystiology. Again, like I'm aware that my mm-hmm. life story is an exception and it's not the rule. Like I'm very aware that like in and, in and if you were to zoom out and look more at my life, like sometimes people see pioneers and they think that maybe like I came from a trust fund or like I had some sort of something to help us get going. That's not what happened. Like both of my parents were born in destitute poverty. The fact that I'm getting my doctor right now is all miracle. The fact that I got to go to Duke is like not within the tradition of my family line and a lot of that. I mean, I don't want. I don't mean to like say all miracle to undermine how incredibly hard my parents worked. My parents worked yeah. so hard to disrupt cycles of poverty, and they did. Like, my parents' children all got to go to college. Like, that's a miracle in our family. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think just leaning into that, like, kind of getting to hold space for growth with equity, and that's a yeah. huge part. So, loneliness, growth with equity.
0: Yeah, I love that. So where does ministry happen there? Is it like on Sunday nights or is it every single day, the coffee shop style, you know?
1: Yeah, define ministry, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um,
0: yeah, go ahead, you got it. (laughs)
1: Um, I mean, my running joke is, you know, any day that I am inside, physically inside of Pioneers, I have a conversation of consequence about the goodness of Jesus likely with someone who is not actively involved in a local church, that is my daily rhythm. I get to experience that every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, But so pioneers church meets Sunday evenings and we're borrowing from the alpha model. So we eat together every week. So kind of like a dinner church model, we always share a giant community meal. And then there's more traditional elements of a worship service. So there's music and um, there's always a talk, but then we kind of hold a ton of space at the back end of service for group reflection and discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of, if you are familiar with Alpha, which I just love, I love Alpha. It's If you're to look at the word evangelism, it's a friendship model of evangelism. Like let's be together on a journey and process this along the way. Um, and so that's kind of how we set up church. And then during the week we use the same room. So what I call our sanctuary floor and and it's a full, it's a cafe during the week. Um, so part of that is just comes down to church real estate, like so much church real estate sits empty during the week. Um, or like has a couple hours here and there, but there's big chunks of time that the space is not used. And it feels like what we're doing is a really new idea, but it's honestly not like you, you draw to mind, like monks brewing beer, nuns starting schools. Like it's this, what's a vital need in our neighborhood and how can the church meet that vital need? And so for us, the vital need in our neighborhood is loneliness. So we serve coffee and we serve incredible tea and um, we have conversation starters all over the room and like, our customers come in and they feel known and seen and loved and heard. Um, and then alongside that, um, we have a ton of things happening at Pioneers during the week. Like we have this week, we have like a hand painted pumpkin workshop and then thursday night we're having a harry potter trivia night which i am extremely stoked for um but we also have like classes and workshops and there's a ton of ministries that are not at all connect like aren't pioneers but who also use the space for bible studies and we just got contacted by a hispanic congregation that is asking to use it sunday mornings because we don't meet sunday mornings um so yeah. there's really stuff like that that happens all the time um and then we have like I call them adulting 101 classes, like how to be grown up classes. This is this how you buy your first house? I still don't know. I still can't figure it out. But we have classes, <laughs> classes like that all the time. Um, and then the yeah, so the church we is using the same space, but we use it Sundays, Sunday evenings, and then during the week, it's a cafe plus plus plus, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. Honestly, like, yeah, you're right. You know, define ministry. I mean, every single day it seems like you have you and, you know, everybody there has the opportunity to disciple each other, evangelize all of the, you know, fancy yeah. words that we use for Sundays and Wednesday nights, you know, to like do that every day. Um, yeah.
1: And yeah. It, it's a slow, like, and that it's also very Wesleyan, like the Wesleyan movement is very much like together day in, day out um even the wesleyan movement was like really involved with like micro grants and helping small businesses get on its feet and so yeah it does feel like what we're doing is new but it's really not it's just kind of day in day out discipleship um and honestly now i'm becoming like an addict to it it's so funny like (laughs) i'm moonlight at all because i have friends across the city that are like leading the most beautiful churches on sundays and i get to moonlight because my church meets sunday evenings and it's kind of sweet. Like now I, I do, I'm starting to be like, oh man, like I miss getting to really like know someone when I go to church on Sunday. Cause it, it's, if, if you're like the idea of someone knowing your name, when you go to church and like having to have a conversation, is just like, oh my God, get me out of here. Yeah. Hate pioneers, you know, <laughs> just be so cringe because you're having dinner with someone and you're sitting and you're learning each other's stories. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been really cool. I I had a guest come the other week uh, and she said, I feel like what happened tonight is what normally takes me like three to four weeks at a different community to get to. Um, And that's not like, again, I think different models are so beautiful and God, God's spirit is so diverse and our churches should be very diverse, but it's really refreshing to hear that, that like in our community, there is this sense of, deep community of deep connection that happens that I think is pretty unique to our space um yeah
0: yeah yeah I I mean it sounds very unique I I I don't think I've ever experienced I I guess you know where I was from in Georgia we had like these movement type things Mm -hmm. that were about prayer and worship and they'd like you know, start coffee shops. That that seemed to like be the thing. Was like a coffee shop, and then it was like a prayer room, yeah. And you know that sort of thing. I, I just never thought of it as like, you know, oh, this is a church plant. Like this is a church, mm-hmm. or this is a community, you know, with pastors and thing like that. Uh, I guess probably just because of my own church experience. You know, I that's how I grew up. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: Um, and I think, I mean, even for us, like I've also been really involved in the parachurch church movement, like House of Prayer movement too. And there's so much beauty there, but so much of it for me goes back to little Sheree. Like I want to have good hospitality towards her. And I want to make sure that there really is room for church growth that actually looks like someone who's not walking with Jesus, who begins to walk with Jesus. Um, so a lot of church growth today, especially in North America, especially in the United States looks like a line from like nominal Christian into practicing Christian, or it looks like someone who attended a church for a year kind of fell off, didn't really belong anywhere for another year and then gets plugged into a new church. And that's a need. That's a vital need. Like I'm very grateful that for churches who are able to help people kind of wake up into their faith. I just think pioneers is uniquely called to walk alongside people who are like, don't know the name of Jesus, who are not coming from a church, necessarily a church background.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the other wild thing about pioneers is that it is really diverse. So pioneers, um, one of my friends who's on our lead team said, this is the most diverse part of my week. And if you were to come into service, you wouldn't really know um, like, what the majority group is because it just feels very much like every tribe and every tongue. Um, And for me, that is just like such a sweet gift and such a, such a kiss for me because I came to know Jesus. I I came to know Jesus in a context in Alabama, that was a very diverse context. And so um, the idea that Sundays would be like a place where society is actually still pretty segregated. That's always been a big question mark for me. Um, yeah. And so that's mm-hmm. like the sweetest thing is to come to church and like feast with someone who is from a different ethnicity from you, who comes from a different socioeconomic background than you, who mm-hmm. comes from a different church mm-hmm. background than you, and then just make friendship in the messiness of all of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's inspiring. I love that it's so diverse. I think I've noticed that as well, like mm-hmm. just coming in day in, whatever for... Coffee. I still need to try some of the tea. But um, so I did want to talk about being a woman pastor, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you you know, I don't know if you ever experienced anything in that realm. You I don't know when you moved north because it's more acceptable or what theological <laughs> right. ideas, you know. What that do
1: <laughs> what are you yeah, talking right?
0: about? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well,
1: there you go, there's your answer. You never <laughs> um <laughs> No, I mean, I think I I actually didn't find out that um, there was any like cultural or theological or biblical issues with women in areas of leadership until I was in college because I grew up in a household. My dad has four girls and um, he really, he, I I would say of all of us, he's the most feminist of all of us. And so- he he was just so so passionate about his girls getting to be like the answer to to what could be wrong with the world I mean he just believed in us and really had incredibly high expectations of us and I mean in so many ways we were his four sons you know like he he wanted to see us change the world um and so I I kind of came up with a really firm foundation of um there was no, there, I didn't grow up with a ceiling really. Um, Mm -hmm. And even comically to the point, I mean, my dad is in faith now and he has a really beautiful relationship with God. But at the time when I was feeling the tug towards ministry, my dad and, you know, take this gently, he, he didn't mean it to, to crush me, but he was like, what a waste of talent. And the reason he said that was probably because he knew the ceiling around women. And he also wanted me to like become a lawyer or a doctor or something where I could really affect change in society. Yeah. Um. So, and even when I was at my home church, women were on the pulpit, women were preaching, women were helping wow. lead. My, that 400 kid youth group was led by a husband and wife team and they were fully doing the work together. Like it, there yeah. was, Not an idea in my mind that oh this is Pastor Scott's youth group and Britt helps with the girls like it 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 was that was not the vibe I got and honestly it wasn't until I got to college when I was helping lead Um, I was the state director for the Alabama Campus Prayer Network and so we were rolling on like new student groups on different college campuses that were praying Um, and we were about to roll on Tuscaloosa so we're about to roll on University of Alabama. And one of the guys um, at that campus came to me and really like gently and with a lot of humility, he shared that he didn't feel like their praying group could be part of the network. And I was like, oh, really? Why? And he said, because you're leading it. And I, I was like, I don't know what you're taught. Like, I, li- I, I couldn't even be offended because I didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. Um. And so he kind of shared with me and he he brought me to scripture and shared with mm-hmm. me. um. That there, you know, there's a lot of interpretation around women really having distinct roles and those roles not being in leadership in the church. Yeah. So I'm kind of honestly, I'm somebody who um I I want to fully submit myself under what the Lord has for my life, including if it means that I got it all wrong. And yeah. so I went through a several year-long journey where I was like okay I need to wrestle with these scriptures I need to wrestle with distinctives or roles between men and women and Lord like if I am wrong like if me preaching if me church planning if me leading your church in some way is not what you have for me I will do that like I will lay it down And I kind of went, because I'm an eternal student, because I'm a researcher, um, I talk to people from across every uh, across, you know, I talk to egalitarian, complementarian, lots of mixes in between. I would call those the sit on the pot, but not poopers, you know, (laughs) Um, men, women. I I really, it was like a few years that I went on this journey and then I, I studied scripture deeply and I read, you know, different, uh, like hot takes and commentaries and perspectives. And so for me, I, after that uh, sifting journey, I came out not only like the, like, this is passable, like not only like, okay. Shrey, you can scoot on, you you can skirt by this issue, but really, a oh, I don't just think it's passable. I think it is the trajectory of the church. Like I think that God is calling women into leadership in this era. Um, but I, I, I honestly, I do encourage women to to go on that journey. I had a friend; he was one of my mentors. He's African American is African-American. He did not pass away. Um, oh. And he, he shared with me, because I asked him about this. I was probably like 18 or 19, and I asked him about this. And I was like, man, I don't, like, there's so much I want to preach about. There's so much I want to say. I don't want to talk about women the rest of my life. And he kind of said, well, you're going to talk about women the rest of your life because that's the body that you're in, and mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to escape that reality I would really like to not be the black male pastor either, but this is who I am. And so my encouragement to you is to do your work and know what you believe and why you believe. And honestly, today, I'm so glad that he gave me that advice because I know so many women who are doing the work and they're doing it beautifully, but they haven't wrestled with scripture. And so when that accusation comes, it really hurts and it really causes fear and doubt and anxiety. And that's just not where I am. And I'm so glad, but part of it is because I went on a really long journey um, of wrestling with scripture. And then the other thing that I want to note is that um, I honestly do believe that the affirmation of women in all roles of ministry and all places of leadership is truly a secondary issue. I do not think it's essential for the practice of faith. And so um, I'm now at the point where like, I happily lock arms with folks who have different convictions than I have, mm. because I think that the things that we share in common are just too critical and too important to leave, all- to just like not work together. Yeah, And I think that disunity grieves the spirit of God significantly more than a lot of the things that we think grieve God's spirit. And just unity has never meant uniformity. That is not what unity means. And so I don't yeah. have to fully agree with someone in order to to lock arms with someone. And that's lived out at Pioneers. Like at Pioneers, we have leaders, we have churches that use our space. We have people who, who lead at different levels of Pioneers who are like straight, I don't, I wasn't raised this way. I don't know what I think about your leadership. And I'm like, well, as long as we can keep working together, let's keep working together. And we're going to let this be messy and let this be really hairy. And if you have questions, like I'm here, like if you want to talk through it, if you want to wrestle through it, gosh, I have a lot of what I think are very helpful resources, but also because it's secondary, I don't need to be right. Like I don't, I, I, I've really made peace with like, if I get before Christ one day and the Lord says straight, you actually kind of missed my heart on this a little bit. And I actually love this, this, and this, but I actually didn't have for you to be a lead pastor. Like, I think I, I think I'd go, okay. Like, I think I would be able to take that, take that yeah. and keep going. And so, um, I was saying all that to say, I I'm actually more at a point where there are many, many, um, friends of mine that kind of fall in the complementarian camp or way of thinking that, like, I see where they're coming from. Like, I understand and I respect their theology. I don't think it's a totally, like, backwards or uh, I think it can cause a lot of harm, but I don't think it's something where it's, like, I need to not associate myself with that group of believers. Um, I am... uh, I I definitely work with... um, a myriad of churches sometimes to a fault. Like I'm, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's probably the way to go. And I do appreciate you bringing up that aspect of it, of like, it's secondary and it's hard to like, I mean, it's good you're vocalizing that for me to say that as a white male, it's like, it's secondary. So I don't care if people don't, you know, get to live out their call, you know, it sounds a little bit different, but I do appreciate And
1: And I mean, I will say like, of course, it is personal. We're talking about my life's work. Definitely. We're talking about what I have truly thrown <laughs> my life away for. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I have my limits too. like, I'm not gonna go work in a community where the ceiling is really obviously named. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there are certain denominations, certain churches where I'm like, okay, that's, that's not going to be a place that I'm going to be able to give my fullest. Yes. And so we can be friends and we can partner, but I'm not going to go look for my paycheck from that community. Yeah. Um, But I also ask, like I ask all the time because a lot of times people, um, they don't actually know what they believe and they don't often know why they believe it. So a lot of it is folk theology or inherited theology. And so like, as an example, there was like a, uh, you know, we'll, once you're in school, there's all these different job boards, and it'll it'll say postings like "apply for guest speaker" or something like that. And so, like I did that just the other day for a uh, Southern Baptist church. I was like, "Hey, gosh, we have so much in common. I think that I could be a helpful pulpit supply. I want to give you a heads up. Shrey is a girl name. It's not just an odd name. Like I am a girl. <laughs> so I can ask. I, I, you know, I'm upfront, and it doesn't have to be this place of deep, hus- you know, contentiousness or hustle. Hostility, yeah. um, but I'm very willing, and I and so that's the other thing is like I know a lot of women who are it's really tender, and so they won't like they won't knock, they won't ask, they won't mm-hmm. apply, apply for funding, apply for money because they're like, oh well, that group they won't fund me. I'm yeah. like, you'd be surprised, you know, <laughs> like yeah. room to be surprised, and so I have like a lot of our funding, a lot. Of opportunities have come just from asking, you know. Yeah. And sometimes churches say, Oh, we're on a journey here, actually. We're kind of like wrestling through this. Would love your perspective. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I know it can be personal and tender and all that, but it's cool to hear you even took the time to like wrestle with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that I mean is just an important process to, you know, whether you believe or you're egalitarian or complementarian like, yeah, as long as as you wrestle with the scriptures, you know, I think, you know, we can, we can come together, you know, that sort of thing. So, well, I appreciate you coming on today. Don't want to take up too much time, but I think you've given some very good um, (laughs) nuggets of wisdom. And uh, I learned a lot today. I've never, ever, you know, dove in whatever the word is to uh, the social enterprise Mm -hmm. type church planning. So I appreciate you sharing that. And um, (laughs) yeah, thank you for coming on and um, probably come get
1: some coffee later this week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. You're going to try to I'm not. It's so funny. I'm not a tea drinker either. So you're safe. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about
0: that. I'm all cold brew. It's really, it's To a fault. Uh, But I I need to try some tea too. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) All right. All
1: right. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, for sure.